back at it after a pretty major week in weekend in Iowa sports. David Eichel, Hawkeye Insider, twenty four seven Sports, along with Sean Bach. Sean, uh, really a lot a lot of ground to cover and not a lot of time. But uh, Iowa coming off a big win last night against Minnesota, uh, pretty solid all around performance. Iowa, you know, getting in the Holiday Bowl. We'll get into that in a little bit. A lot on the recruiting front. But uh, let, let's dive right in just the, the matchup last night. What were some of your initial takeaways? I mean, it feels like Iowa just kind of went in, took care of business against a team that just looked overmatched. It did not look like the, the Minnesota of last year. No, it was a really good overall effort for Iowa. I mean, when you get Joe Wieskamp playing at that level, it's really tough to complain because when he when he's at that level, you're a much tougher team to be. You know, Luka Guards is going to bring it every night, like, he had 20 – Garza had 21 points and hit – I don't know what his field goal percentage was, but he was kind of relatively quiet, which is saying something. Um, because, I mean, you look at the Michigan game and how how much he dominated there. And 20 people are like, wait, Garza was part of that game? But he had 21 points and did, I thought, a pretty good job against Daniel Turu, Minnesota's big man. Um, Uturu is one of the best – He's got probably one of the highest upsides of all the bigs in the Big Ten. Um, really long athlete, really fluid, uh, traveled. A diff- um, yeah, I got to learn how to dribble the ball a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, and he's very good defender, very long, very lengthy. Um, got a really, really high potential, but I thought Garza did a fine job on him. I mean, Oturu got his, which, what you expect because Minnesota uses him so much in their offense. So overall, pretty good effort. I thought, like I said earlier, Wieskamp being so good was a big, big boost to them. Um, Jordan Bohannon didn't score, but he had 10 assists and didn't turn the ball over once, which is not to, I mean, we all know Jordan can pass the ball, but I think when you look at that stat line, you're kind of like, Bohannon didn't hit any threes or his points weren't a multiple of three. Um, so you were kind of thrown off by that first, but you look, you watch the game, and you're like, yeah, Bohannon's, despite his injuries, despite his struggles with his hips, you can tell that um, he's kind of lagging a little bit just in terms mm-hmm. of kind of his scoring ability or is what he can really do. But just the way he facilitates the ball is so, so vital to this team. And they're going to miss him if he ends up shutting it down the next couple of days. And the whole thing is, too, I mean, he – he was passing up shots last night. I mean, there are a couple of times he almost pulled the trigger and he just didn't. Another one, I think if you want to really kind of solidify the fact that he's a little bit slow, I mean, he had that wide open three, I think, in the first half. I think it was his first shot attempt and just completely airball. I mean, that's just not Bohannon. Um, so it, it's kind of, you know, I think he had a great stat line last night, like you said. I think his defense was better last night. I think Iowa as a, as a whole defense was better because keep in mind, Minnesota entered the – the game as the Big Ten's leading three-point team, uh, making about nine a game. So they got shooters, and their Minnesota's uh, backcourt combined to go three of 29. But like you said, Daniel Oturu had 22 and 11, and he had five blocks. We had eight turnovers. Um, but yeah, Garza really held his own. Garza started off three of 10, and he ended the game eight of 17. So he really got it going late. The whole team, I thought, really did. Joe Wieskamp, I think that's exactly what you need out of him. He was aggressive. He was smart. And that block uh, into that fast break dunk was one of the more impressive sequences I've seen in his career. I mean, that was 
that was great. I think Joe Toussaint took some steps last night. I think he was hustling all over the place, distributing well. That the, I'll tell you what, for being such a short guard, that energy that he has in the paint and trying to grab offensive rebounds and getting loose balls, it's incredible. And I think I rewatched the television broadcast. That one where he poked it away from Oturu and then chased the ball down before it went out of bounds on the other sideline. Robbie Hummel and Kevin Kugler from Big Ten Network just said, oh my goodness, at the same time because of how just how fast he is. So I think he took some steps last night. And something I one of the more interesting stats from last night, Sean, is I don't even know if you're aware of this, but Connor McCaffrey finished with a plus 32 when he was on the floor. So Iowa was 32 points better when Connor was on the floor. Bohannon was second with plus 24, and nobody else is more than plus 16. So when Connor was on the floor, I mean, g- good things were happening. Right. And I mean, those numbers can be skewed here and there. I know a lot of people say, like, well, he was just on the floor at that point. Like, he got lucky or something like that. But I think sometimes those numbers can be pretty realistic. And I think, too, a lot of people give Connor flack. We've talked about that time and time again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you see it when you watch the game more closely, too, just the way he he's able to create and just how he's able to read what his team is doing. Because I think there was one play where C.J. Frederick, who I think is one of the best off-ball movement players in the Big Ten, um, was cut into the rim, and Connor had his eyes up, and he hit him for an easy layup. So I think just those things, too, just he makes right reads. He just knows where people are going to be at on the floor. And as we said before, it's just a calming presence out there, which is you can't you can't have enough of those guys because they are so vital to your team. And without Connor, I think offensively, Iowa wouldn't be where they're at right now. I think according to Haslametrics, which is one of the best, I think, and that analytic sites in college basketball they have iowa top 10 in offensive efficiency and i think ken palm had them at three um before yesterday before yesterday's game so Iowa's offense man like maybe they don't have the shooting numbers that they had a year ago they don't have maybe like the free throw um is still working but just turnover wise like their guards mm-hmm. have done a fantastic job not turning the ball over, being smart with it, and really just playing within themselves. Because I know there were a couple games at the beginning of the year where you're like, oh, like the turnover situation, it's going to be horrible. Like it's going to be awful. Like there's no way like with these guards like that like, – or like with these like types of games turnover-wise that I was going to be able to win. But I just think turning over the ball like that outweighs – and this is my opinion. This – that outweighs – shooting percentage i mean i know you want guys that can knock down knock it down from deep but if you're not making the most of your possessions and you're throwing away possessions then that just ruins those opportunities for you to score which really takes a detriment to your team so just the guards giving i would just like the most opportunities possible to to get good offensive sets mm-hmm. and get good shots get in rhythm is is huge and i think it's going to come too i think those shooting numbers are going to go up and hopefully those turnover numbers stay down because if those shooting numbers go up then this iowa team there's no doubt that they could stay a top 10 offense for the rest of the season yeah i mean we we've kind of said all along i mean i don't think any of us really doubt what iowa's offense would be because under fran iowa's offense is usually in the top 25 in efficiency by ken palm um but it's really a matter of fact the defense the defense moved up to uh, 115th in defense of efficiency last night, according to Ken Palm. And last thing about Connor before we kind of move to the Jabo situation is Connor's already hit two more three pointers this year than he did last year. He's shooting the ball 31% from deep, 89% from the free throw line, 
and 43 and a half from the field. Those are outstanding numbers from the fielder three, but that is progress. And I think that's exactly what you wanted to see out of him. And you can tell he's pulling up with a lot more confidence this year. Um, and I, I think that's just done wonders for his game. And I think he understands it now. And one of those threes, I mean, you keep in mind, I feel like he hasn't forced as many threes as the stats show. Uh, but when those weirder lineups get in, Connor has to be the one to force up the shots because they're just, I mean, there, there was that stretch last night, Sean, where it was Toussaint, Evelyn, McCaffrey, Craner, and Pemsel. And the shot clock's winding down and Connor has the ball. I mean, somebody's got to shoot the ball. I mean, they, that, that's just not a shooting lineup. But he, he hit the one there and it was a step back. I mean, it was a pretty nice move. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right about the turnovers. I think Iowa's done a great job. Keep in mind, the last year, Sean, through the first two games, Iowa had 39 turnovers. So if the fact that with the pre-new team, Iowa's keeping the turnovers down, that's progress. And uh, Iowa's actually top 25 right now in fewest turnovers a game. So, like you said, their offensive efficiency is doing great. Uh, moving on to Jabo real quick. Obviously, the, the big decisions coming up this weekend. Uh, we talked a little bit about with with Bohannon uh, last night following the game. I, I asked him basically, is it important to take pride out of the equation? Uh, because you know he he's a guy who's always get power through everything, and um, you know he he always puts team above him. But I feel like this is one of the situations where he needs to be able to put it, make the decision for himself, not for the team, because just how beat up he's been over the last couple of years. And basically, he just said, I've been saying it since, you know, before my surgery back in May. I want to get my body right and be happy for once, whatever that's going to be. I'm still just taking it day by day. And you can tell, I mean, at best, I, I you know, Sean, what would you say? 75% of Bohannon right now? If that. Yeah, I think I wrote the other day, like I said, I'm not Jordan Bohannon, but I think like 70, 75 is probably a fair number. Yeah. But like yeah. now with his other hit bothering him, maybe a little lower. And he's still powering through it. So Iowa State's going to be the last game he's eligible to play in. Uh, he did say that last night following the game that he's not he is going to play because these are the games as growing up a diehard Iowa fan that you die to play in. Uh, so I think he's going to – if he's going to go out for the season, if this is his last game, I think he's really going to go out with a bang. So I expect him to be extremely aggressive from perimeter. Um. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think that you and I are in the same boat, Sean. I mean, I I think I think he's not going to play this season. I think he's going to shut down. He's 88 three-pointers away from the all-time Big Ten three-point record. That is easily achievable if he comes back healthy next year, 100%. And then you look at Iowa's lineup and... Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. They, you know, they they got a squad there, especially if Wieskamp and Garza both return next year. And, you know, you get Tucson a year in his development. If Connor comes back, you have another point guard. I mean, there's a lot of pieces to like next season. But uh, what are you kind of thinking right now about Bohannon? Are you thinking he's in or out? I mean, I probably think he's out. I mean, I know he wants to stay in, but I just think for the sake of his health and 
what he's talked about the past couple past couple months, just how he wants to be a hundred percent, wants his body to be right again. I just think all all signs point to him shutting it down soon. That's, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speculate in saying that, but I sure, just think sure. I just think that's the right. I don't want to say the right decision, but I think that's the decision where things are going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with you. I. I really just think that it's best for him. But granted, like whatever, if whatever he decides, he's going to rock. And I think the biggest fear that he has and that Fran has and the Iowa fans have is what if it's game 12 and takes an awkward fall, boom, his hip, you know, goes back to being bad or he hurts something else while his career's done. I mean, that, that's the thing. He cannot get hurt at all for the rest of the year because if he does, like his, you know, his his career's done. There's no chance of gaining that medical red shirt. So I think that's the biggest thing to watch there. So obviously we'll just see what happens Thursday night. I highly doubt they announce it after the game. I bet it's going to come out in a, maybe a late Friday press release or just maybe an hour before uh, the final game. And I'm sorry, not the final game, but the game after Iowa state, um, which I believe is Cincinnati. So, I mean, it's going to be another week or so before they even make that decision. So I think that timing there is interesting. So we'll have to monitor that. Uh, last quick thing about basketball before we kind of move into the holiday bowl. C.J. Frederick, I'm loving what I'm seeing out of him. I think he 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 is such a poise of being a veteran on the floor. I mean, he has not played out of his element. He's stuck to the game plan. He's not throwing up any heat checks. He's playing hard, aggressive defense on the perimeter not jacking up shots, take, you know, making shots at a high rate. He's going to be a guy that I think he's going to average 10 or 11 this year. And he's going to be a guy that can probably average 15 or 16 next year because he is just, he's lethal, man. That, that ball is a line drive, but he pulls up with such confidence in his game. I think he's going to be a very efficient four-year player for Fran. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, what he brings is invaluable. What he brings is just your classic combo guard because he can handle it. I think that's something, too, that he worked on a lot this past summer and just the whole past redshirt year would just handle it in pressure situations because that's so important when you play both the shooting guard position and the guard or the point guard spot. I think, too, just what you said on defense, he's not the quickest guy, not the most athletic, but he just knows how to beat his defender to the spot. He's able to stay low get into his defender's ear and just use his – just use his – he just slides his feet so well and just keeps the guy in front of him, which he's not – like, you can't – you can't teach that. I mean, you can't teach that, but it's just something that not a lot of guys have because we've seen it so much in this day and age where guys just rely on their athleticism to get to those spots. But CJ knows. He knows how to beat this defender. He knows how to keep him in front. knows how to slide his feet well and just – Make sure that he doesn't get past him. I think that's something that is really, really just adds to his game, just his overall production on both ends of the floor. Actually, one last quick basketball note, too. Obviously, Patrick McCaffrey did not play again last night. There's no word on him, and I don't want to speculate too much, but I think he is trending toward that red shirt. Uh, he did play in two games this year, so he'd have to apply for it. But I mean, it's pretty obvious that they, they would grant him the red shirt uh, based on his circumstances. So, Obviously, we'll see. Iowa's already extremely thin in the front court. So, you know, I think that'll be just something to watch because I, I don't know how many more games he'd be able to play in and still get that red shirt. So I think they're going to have to make a decision here coming up. I mean, and if you take Patrick and Bohan out of the equation, I mean, 
barring even more injury, Iowa's down to, I believe, nine scholarship players. Active. So what what people have been criticizing Iowa as being too deep and rotating too many guys, well, that 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 bench is gonna get pretty short, pretty fast, Sean. If 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 everything works out the way, you know, if it unfolds that way, so that'll be something to watch. Uh, obviously, we haven't talked since Iowa's bowl game announcement, but obviously, we I, I put on our VIP board that there was a very very high likelihood it was going to be USC Iowa a couple nights before the actual announcement, and that ended up being true. So. I think Iowa fans got what they want, and I think they got the opponent they want. I think Iowa really wanted to play USC. I think a lot of people wanted to get out of going to the East Coast. They want to hit you know, the California beaches. They want to get some revenge on USC from that 2003 Orange Bowl. I'm going to have a profile of that game here in the n- near future before the actual bowl game itself. I-, I was actually in attendance for that too, Sean. So fun fact, uh, Iowa returned the opening kickoff, went 100 yards. It was a 10-10 game at halftime. Then USC obviously went up 28-7 to uh, in the second half and just routed them. Carson Palmer being a Heisman winner, Brad Banks being the runner-up. But, what, yeah, Sean, what, what are your kind of initial thoughts about the matchup? I think it's going to be – honestly, it could be a shootout just with how inconsistent USC's defense has been, but their their passing offense is extremely explosive. Definitely. I mean, we're going to see the Phil Parker special here with – USC's passing attack. What Pittman is is a stud. You got Amron St. Brown, however you say his name. Um, who they compare to the Ball family or whatever, because they got like three brothers who are absolute studs. Um, and then I'm missing who's the other wide receiver again? You say Pittman, Amara St. Brown. I already said him. Michael Pittman. No, I already said Pittman too. Uh, I can't remember the third guy's name, but Pittman is on the Blitnikoff finals list. Yeah, he's uh, as nation's top three. wide receiver, like 98 receptions, 1,221 yards, 11 touchdowns. I mean, the guy is a the guy is really good. And they're yeah. the thing about USC is they may not have the season they want, but they have athletes. They always mm-hmm. have athletes, and they have a lot of five star receivers. Like you said, Phil Parker's special, I think, is going to be in full effect for this one. I'm interested to see how much cash they run because it is interesting too, Sean, because their running game. They have Stephen Carr in that backfield, and he's a former five-star running back, but his career is really just never taken off the way I well, think a lot of they, people expect they run, him to be. They run the air raid offense at USC, mm-hmm. so they're always throwing or they change always throwing the ball. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting, too. I mean, you'd think a five-star running back just wouldn't, you know, but I, it was pretty close to home, I feel like, too. But, uh, yeah, that, that wide receiver, I'm trying to find out who that third wide receiver is. His name is just slipping me right now. Oh, because, Tyler Vaughn's. Yeah, him and St. Brown's stats are very, very similar. I think they're like 21 receiving yards apart Yeah, or something yep. like that. Like they have yeah. the same amount of receptions and same amount of touchdowns. Um, and those guys have been the three, the bread and butter for Slavis this year and why he's been why he's been so effective because JT Daniels went down to start the year and coming into this, Slavis was like, I'm not going to play that much. Like there's no way. And I think I guess a lot of people were giving him giving them heat because they have um, – they had Bryce Young, I mm-hmm. think his name is, who was going to Alabama – or who was going to USC but then decommitted. Flipped to Bama, yeah. Yeah, flipped to Bama. And people were like – before Young flipped to Bama, people were saying to um, Slavis and his family, like, you guys aren't going to play that much. Like, why would you go to USC? Like, you have all these guys coming in. But 
Slava stuck to it. Daniels got hurt, unfortunately, but stepped up into his role and really, really made an impact. And even too, Jack Sears, I think, was ahead of him, but he won the um, Slavis won the start or the backup job in camp, if I'm not mistaken. So I think you're right. I mean, I think I well, they had Matt Fink as the second stringer, and then he got right. hurt early in the year, and then Slavis came in for a half, and then overtook him because of the way he played him. I mean, this is a third-string quarterback, 28 touchdowns, 3,200 yards, 72% completion, nine interceptions. The kid threw for 515 yards. It's against UCLA, granted, but he threw for 515 yards and four touchdowns last game. So the kid's a gunslinger. I think the biggest thing about USC, they give up a lot of sacks, man. Like, their they're, they're front five on the offensive line, it's, it's not consistent, and it's going to open up a lot of opportunity uh, for Iowa, a, I mean, A.J. Epinesa, I think, I mean, he, it's going to be his specialty. Just pin your ears back and go get the quarterback. And with him being that third stringer, you got to wonder what his pocket presence is going to feel like if he faces, you know, a rush, if Chauncey Golston gets going or if the defensive tackles get a good push and Epinesa isn't facing double teams. So I think that's something to watch. But, yeah, the, the secondary, I think, you know, with all credit to Minnesota and all respect to Minnesota, I think this is the best wide receiver core that Iowa's played all year. I mean, just how athletic they are. Amra St. Brown, former five-star receiver. I believe Michael Pittman was a very high four-star uh, wide receiver. They're going to go deep. I think Jack Kerner, I think, needs to have a giant game because he's a little bit – I mean, he's a former walk-on. He's going to be a little bit undersized, good tackler in space, but – they're going to throw a lot of those 50-50 balls down the field. I mean, that, like you said, that's exactly what they thrive on. So that will be the interesting thing. But this is an, a USC defense that that struggles, I think, heavily. I mean, they give up 28 points a game, uh, a lot of yards on the ground. They're allowing 4.6 yards per rush, uh, nearly 2,000 rushing yards all season. So, I mean, th- this might be – I don't want to say the game that puts Tyler Goodson on a national radar because I think that's overblowing it a little bit. But I feel like this is a game where people, you know, Tyler Goodson can get some eyes from around the country to say, hey, look, okay, I'm going to monitor this guy. He could be really good next year because USC is just not stout. And if Iowa's guards can find a way to get a push against those big bodies that USC has in the, you know, their front line, you know, Tyler Goodson's an athlete himself. And I think that that's going to be a huge part of the game plan. Right, and I think going back to the wide receivers, um, I think, too, we've seen Iowa play against some really good wide receivers this year with Minnesota's core with uh, Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, and mm-hmm. then Purdue as well with David Bell. Even though they're without Rondell Moore, David Bell still put up gaudy numbers despite mm-hmm. them like throwing everyone at him. So I think with this with this USC team is he got three of those guys. I mean, obviously Pittman's going to get his, he's going to have a good game. Um, and then the other guys too, I think are going to have an impact and you got to find ways to guard those guys and find ways to really slow them down. Because as we've seen, Iowa, they've, they've done, they've done all right against those like receivers, but like those top guys. But I think Purdue, I think it could be a similar scenario to Purdue where USC is going to find one guy and just keep throwing to him. Cause like I said, they got three options to do that. And I think mm-hmm. that's going to be, that's going to be the difference. And I think we saw too. I don't know if you saw the Indiana Purdue game the other week where they just kept getting it to David Bell, just kept getting it to David Bell. David Bell is getting covered. Then they hit their tight ends. I don't know how active 
USC's tight ends are in their offense, but I do think that with USC's just the receivers that they have is they could find maybe Pittman's getting double covered or getting really, really hounded. So they'll mm-hmm. hit St. Brown and then they'll hit Bonds. So they just have options. And that's that's all you can ask for for if you're USC. Was, they got was that Was that David Bell? Was that the one where he slipped and then got back up and somehow got that catch? Uh, was that I that believe, game? I'm not sure, but you know, you know what play I'm talking be. about. I'm thinking, uh, uh, was it against Iowa or Indiana? It was against Indiana. He he literally fell halfway through his route, and the ball was thrown. He got back up, jumped up, and dove and caught it. I mean, it's I mean, one of the prob- best catches you'll see. I mean, probably because that's Indiana football's luck with things. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I... You know, Iowa is tied for the nation's lead in amount of – I think they've gone 16 straight games without allowing 30 or more points. I believe they're tied with Kentucky. It could very well come to an end here. And, I again, I, I think that this could be a shootout game. And I know that that worries Iowa fans not so foreign, but I don't trust USC's defense. They get penalized a lot. They give up a lot of yards on the ground. And their secondary is – that they're athletic, but they're not – you know, they're not that much better. Uh, they're giving up. They've given up 22 touchdowns this year and 3,000 yards through the air. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, th- I think I, it's interesting. I do think, I do think Iowa wants to keep it low scoring. I think if USC gets it, if it's a shootout, that helps you. That's in USC's favor. Like hundred percent. Yeah, it's definitely in USC's favor if they get it to a shootout. Just how explosive their offense is, and that's what they want. That's what that's the purpose of the air raid. The air raid offense is to get points on the board and get them fast. So. And really open things up, and that'll make that'll make it frustrating because I mean, what would you say? Would you say Iowa's what? Would you say Iowa's time of possession is good offensively? Like, I'd say it's good. I can't remember what the exact statistic was. I think it. I think it was very dominant up until the Wisconsin game. I like since the Wisconsin, it kind of slowly diminished. Because keep in mind, especially against Nebraska, Iowa had the ball for two minutes in the third quarter against Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, I think that, that just won't get the job done. Yeah, and especially with USC's defense too, I think if you can get it between the tackles and find ways to get through there, because I think that's one area where USC's kind of been so-so is the rushing. The rushing defense has been an area where they've kind of been here and there with it, but I think if you can get it in between those tackles if you're Iowa, then you got a good chance to really make something happen. I mean, because USC, those West Coast guys – and like with Hawaii and stuff like those kids, those guys are athletes. They are very, they're going to be, yep. they're not like, I mean, they are big, but they're not going to be like Mississippi state where those guys were just like dogs. Like those guys were imposing and just physical, mm-hmm. like USC is a different style of play from what I've seen. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we'll have much more previews over the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about this more on the swarm cast. I mean, this is just a very brief overview of what USC is. I love the matchup. 
I mean, I, I think this is a very, I don't want to say dream scenario for Iowa because they had higher aspirations for the season, but the Holiday Bowl is a great bowl. I think a lot of fans are happy with it. They've wanted to return to the Holiday Bowl. And keep in mind, this is the last year the Holiday Bowl is taking a Big Ten team because next year they start taking the ACC teams instead. So, you know, Iowa gets another Holiday Bowl trip. They face off against an opponent that they've wanted to face off against that has a very well-known brand around college football. So this is a very good situation, I think, for Iowa football. So especially if Iowa ever wants to get out west and try to recruit a little bit more because they can say, hey, you know, we beat USC. I mean, they, they can use this on the trail because recruits know who what USC is as a program. Mm-hmm. So uh, diving in a couple quick questions we kind of wrap things up here. Uh, with three walk-ons against scholarships after Nebraska game, where's Iowa selling the scholarship count? Think we can Wirfs and AJE being gone. Who do you think will enter the transfer portal? Um, if you've heard any possible names, I, I think obviously these aren't scholarship guys. Caleb Shudak, place kicker is already in it. Joe Ludwig, the a fullback is in it. So I think that clears the way for Turner Palisar to be the starting fullback next year after Brady Ross is done. I don't really want to speculate too much on guys who that could leave because I think it's unfair to them. But I mean, I think I don't think everyone from the running back room is going to return next year. I think that's almost a given because I mean, just look at the situation. You got Ivory Kelly Martin who'll be coming off a red shirt. Now one minute, you know, one snaps. You have Makai Sargent who had been the starter for the better part of the last two years. Torn Young, who's kind of played a really good game against Wisconsin, then kind of fell off the map a little bit. And Tyler Goodson's coming back for at least two, if not three more seasons. So I think a running backs could be gone. I think a defensive back, one at least one defensive back will be gone. Uh, because that's just probably the most, would you say, Sean, that's probably the most fluid uh, position group among when it comes to these type of things. Because, I mean, Iowa lost Josh Turner and Trey Creamer last year to transfer. Yeah, I'd say so. So I, I think that will be somewhere to watch. I think defensive line, I think they'll be all right. Offensive line, wide receivers, I think they'll be all right for the most part. So I, I think if you want to look for a position group, I think you're going to want to look toward the defensive backs. I think you're going to look, want to look toward the running backs. I think scholarship count-wise right now, they're fine. Uh, oh, we got to talk about AJ, Vanessa, Tristan Wirfs obviously said that they were going to play in the <clears throat> play in the bowl game. Not a surprise at all. I don't think. I think that's just not in the character of those two guys to want to, you know, not want to play. And I do believe when they say they haven't made a decision yet, but I mean, Sean, that guaranteed money, that guaranteed first round money is going to be kind of hard to to overcome and the one it turned down. I mean, we kind of saw that with TJ Hawkinson last year because I think every, I think we both kind of, we talked about last year. It, it felt like every ounce of TJ Hawkinson's being wanted to come back to Iowa but he went eighth in the draft. I mean, that's a lot of money on the line. That, that that the guaranteed money is just too much to top. Right. Like you, it's it's hard to turn a deal that like that down. I mean, you can be you can be a homegrown Iowa kid and want to stay, but like you got to go where the money. It's like I know it's kind of a a lot of people won't like that, but if the money's there, like you got to take you got to take it. And you know you just can't you can't hate on the guy trying to get money that he's put so much you know time and energy and effort into, especially when they're putting their bodies on the line, you know for for our entertainment. You know I mean that's what it is. It's entertainment. I mean Keith Duncan said after his game winning kick, football is entertainment. 
Um, and these guys do put their bodies on the line. So, yeah, I, I think Wirfs and Epinesa are both going to be gone. I think they'd be crazy not to because I think Wirfs already is a top 10 pick. I think he's going to absolutely blow every scout and executive away during the combine. I think he goes top five. I'd be surprised if he didn't. I mean, just look at his tape. Look at what you can mold him into and just how young he is too. I mean, his his ceiling's as high as a Hall of Famer in football. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm extremely high on him. I, I think he's just – he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's just so athletic. He's got all the potential in the world. And the year-to-year growth is what stands out to me. I mean, he's gotten substantially better every single year. So – I don't know about Hall of Famer, but I'd say – Ceiling. Not saying he will be, but ceiling-wise, I think it's there. I really do. All right. I'll, I'll see. We'll see. So, yeah, I mean, I, I – I think he brings lots to the table. Epinesa, I think. Epinesa, I think, is the wild card in this whole situation because I think he can go as high as top six, top seven. But, you know, also see mock drafts where he goes top 25. I mean, it depends if he wants to say, oh, I'm better than the 25th, 26th pick. I'm going to come back to Iowa, do my thing, and make you guys see that I'm a top five pick. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not even saying that's likely to happen. But if, if you want to be an optimist and you want to think like that, you know, sure, it depends on what it is. And obviously with, with how in tune AJ Vanessa is, the commitment, family, education, everything like that, I do think that there is some part of a degree of being a born, you know, bred Hawkeye and, and wanting to earn his degree. I think that that will be something to watch there too. But, I, I again, I think he's gone I think Chauncey Golson's going to return. I think Geno Stone's going to return next year. But Geno's another wild card. Numir Smith-Marset already said he's coming back. He's not even going to file for uh, the draft board advisory committee, which gives you a, a round grade of what experts and executives think you'll go. Uh, he said unfinished business. And I think he could be Iowa's first all-Big Ten wide receiver since 2011 when Marvin McNutt did it. But yeah, no, to go back to the whole transfer thing, I think defensive back and running back is going to be where you're going to want to look. Uh, going down the list, would you consider Paul Sec on the hot seat or do you think it's time for Iowa to try to get him and get this running game going? Uh, sorry, it's more of a discussion than a question. Just kind of figure I'd throw it out there. You know, I, I think a lot of people want to see Paul Sec or some sort of change, but, you know, keep in mind that alignment of his has just won the Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year. I mean, Paul Sex been here for three years. Tristan Wirth's been here for three years. He can claim, hey, look, look what I just did with that. Um, but I, as far as the running game goes, I think that Iowa does need to get out of their zone scheme. I think they have a lot to kind of rejuvenate. But, Sean, what were you kind of thinking? Do you think Paul Sick is anywhere on the hot seat, or do you think he's going to be safe to go? I think right now, I think at the beginning of the year, the hot, the seat was a little hot, but I think just based on the way, I mean, things have looked better as of late. Wouldn't you agree now that they're full, more full strength? Yeah, I think that was the big thing, too. I think that's a good point because Alaric Jackson was hurt for the first month of the season. Yeah, so I think with full strength, they were fine. I think the way he's recruiting, too, and just like the athletes he has, the offensive lineman he has coming in, like the guys in 2020, I think are going to be really good, 2021 as well. I think 2022, he could get a couple couple big big hogs that 
will make an impact pretty early, but I think you got to give him maybe another year or two, get his recruits in, see what see what they can bring, see how their development is. I'd be interested to see how that 2019 group's progressing with Ezra Miller, Tyler Enders, Noah Fenske, and uh, Justin Britt. As we know, Britt has made an impact so far this year, but I would like to see the other guys really really come in and make, make, it, make some rounds too. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. I, th- I think I think Justin Britt's going to be a really – I think he's going to be a breakout player for Iowa next year because keep in mind when he signed, the, I think the one of the biggest quotes that stuck out to me during Kirk Ferentz's press conference. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, was he said, when I went to Warren Central to talk to Justin, he knew more about technique and offensive line and leverage and just the whole technical more than third year guys in his call in, in Iowa's program. And I think with Kirk Ferentz being an offensive line guru, I think that that that's the highest praise imaginable. I, I, I think at least. So I think Brits could be a big time guy to watch there next year. Uh, but I, I agree. I think Paul sex cooled his seat, but with that being said, Kirk, Brian, Paul sec and Foster all need to get together and rejuvenate and kind of revamp. Iowa's running game because you have a game-breaking running back now because I think Tyler Goodson is easily a thousand-yard running back next season. He's got that kind of potential. He's got that big playability. We saw that against Nebraska. But how can you extract the best out of him, stay true to your identity, and get the offensive line back to where it used to be? I think that's the biggest key, and they'll have the upcoming months after the bowl game to kind of redo that. But I think, like you said, I think I think Paul sex seats cooled, but there does need to be some accountability from all four of those guys in terms of why Iowa's running game has struggled. You know, I'll be fair. I don't even think Foster deserves that much blame, if any at all, because I think Iowa's running backs have played substantially better this year. I think last year was more the running backs. I think this year it's more the offensive line as to why it's struggling and the scheme itself. Um, so last quick thing, uh, Obviously, never never too early to to project um, depth charts and starting stuff. So, who's starting quarterback week one, 2020? And is it going to be the same guy in week six? And what will the depth chart look like? Sean, take it away. Quarterback 2020. Spencer Peters. I don't think there's much of a much of a debate. I think Peyton Mansell. I think it'd be interesting to see if we get him and maybe some read option packages. I mean, I know I was not really known for that, but Stanley has, has had a couple couple times this year where he's been in the read option. I mean, looking at Mansell's high school tape, I mean, he can throw it too. I mean, I know it's a different level and that was, what, four, four years ago, but like, it's not like he has a dead arm. Like, it's not like he can only use his feet or he has like tennis elbow where he can't throw. Like, he can throw it, but yeah. I mean, who knows? I think I think Petrus is a star from day one. I think the coaching staff's kind of made that clear. Um, I think Padilla <clears throat> will probably be third string, maybe even second, depending on what the deal is with Mansell. Um, 
I know I've read somewhere, I think Hawkeye Sports published an article talking about Padilla where Kirk said he's really liked Alex's progression, really thinks he can make an impact eventually. Like, they wouldn't bring him on if they didn't think he could make a difference in the program. And I've heard from people, too, that it throws a really tight spiral. He, he's a little more mobile than some of the quarterbacks in Iowa's had. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily a dual threat, but – I think he's got he's got a little more little more uh, little more wheels to him than some maybe like a Nate Stanley. He's not as big as Stanley, so I don't know how popular the QB sneaks would be. But I think he's a guy that is a considerable backup at this point. I think he's really picked things up nicely and will be someone that I think can can make somewhat of a splash down the line. Same thing with Deuce Hogan. I do think the completion the completion percentage with him was a little concerning this year um, at the high school level. Um, but other than that, he's won games, and that's that's all you can really ask for. And he's put up some big numbers here and there, but I think I think people need to temper the expectations a little bit. I do think if he was early and rolling, he can maybe have a shot for that second, maybe third, maybe third if I'm being real, maybe that third string. But I do think with him not early and rolling, that's going to take a hit because – I think that was so huge for guys like Alex Padilla and Spencer Peters because they've had an impact. They made they've they took they made the decision to early enroll, and I think that just helped from a standpoint of you got another semester to adjust. You know you're not really competing for a job, and I think too a string practice that allows Ken O'Keefe to get more time with these guys because you're not teaching these guys to be season ready right away. You're kind of molding them into what, what it's going to be like in a couple of years because you're getting adjusted with the offense. You're getting adjusted with the teammates. You're getting adjusted with practices. You're getting adjusted with schedules. You're getting adjusted with school, social life, everything that college has to offer. And just that extra semester gives you a heads up on or a, a uh, notch up on those other guys maybe coming a little later. I think yeah. that's why it's so like you can say all you want for offensive linemen how important it is to early enroll, but I think for quarterback it's the most the most important position for early enrollees is quarterback. Yeah, no, hundred percent, especially with what Iowa expects out of their quarterbacks, because keep in mind just how many times they have to check coverages, they have to understand everything. I mean what Iowa holds their quarterbacks to is a completely different standard. I think then then some other programs. That's why it's so hard for younger guys to break through. I mean, Iowa's never started a true freshman quarterback, and I think you're right. If if Deuce Hogan had early enrolled, I think he he would have at least gotten a fair shot. I don't think they would have counted him out. I think he would have gotten a fair shot. But when you got Spencer Petras, third year in the program, keep in mind the guy broke Jared Goff's high school records and Goff at number one overall in the draft. I'm not trying to set that expectation, but in California. He threw for 50 touchdowns and two picks and 4,600 yards as a senior. The guy can throw the football. Uh, he's got that Nate Stanley build. The quarterback sneaks will still be alive. He's a little bit mobile, but he's much more comfortable in the pocket. Obviously, he's got a good arm. Uh, I think he summed it up pretty well. And, you know, we we were watching, I think it was fall camp, that, that kid's day practice, where Manziel started like seven of eight with a touchdown through a great deep pass and you and I were kind of looking at each other like, okay, like this, this is a lot different than we expected to see. But then I think he went one of nine for two picks in the next nine passes. I mean, it's just that inconsistency factor there. And 
you know, Iowa prides themselves on ball control, not turning it over, you know, eating up time possession, not shooting themselves in the foot. So answer the question, Spencer Petras is going to be the starting quarterback. I think it's going to be the same. I think he's going to be a multi-year starter. We'll see what happens with Manziel. Uh, I, I think Padilla has a shot. He's a little bit undersized, like you said. I mean, I, I was very impressed with some of the passes he threw when we watched him in spring. Didn't get a lot of action in fall during the kids' day thing, but he throws a nice pass. I think he threw a great deep pass to uh, Calvin Lockett in in spring practice. So, And I, I think you're right. I think if Hogan rolled early, I think he'd be in contention for that second or third stringer, but I think he's going to be just outside the loop. But – Hogan's going to be a guy to watch. I think just the leadership quality, the winning quality, the high IQ, the the arm strength. And I'll say this. I don't think the completion percentage is all his fault, but obviously he's got to be able to put guys in a position to succeed. So uh, it'll be kind of interesting to watch there. But, uh, yeah, I win the Holiday Bowl. Uh, signing day coming up. Sean and I have a bunch of stuff planned. I mean, we're going to have an absurd amount of content on signing day itself and stuff leading up to that. Iowa's bowl games coming up. Uh, we'll obviously, we'll be back to recap Iowa and Iowa state. We're going to plenty of preview material on Hawkeye insider as well. I uh, will host a post game podcast probably sometime, maybe Friday, Sean, something like that. Yeah. Potentially. We'll see like what, that. we'll see how my project's going for, for school. Oh, that's right. You got your finals. It's dead week right now, isn't it? Kind of. Iowa doesn't really have a dead week. I only have one final, but I have this project that I got to get going on soon. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll be back soon. State, uh, obviously, HawkeyeInsider.com for the latest stuff. Obviously, like I said, we're going to be putting out an absurd amount of content, a lot of good stuff coming up. Huge, huge next few weeks with, with everything going on. Jordan Bohan decision and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be fun. And once Sean gets his project done, he's going to be extremely happy. and and really ready to go. Yeah, exactly. You can just hear the joy in my voice right now. <laughs> All right, but yeah, we'll be back in a few days to kind of recap everything. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.